Dr. Amalia Ganyas-Malka. Welcome to Womanity, Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates prominent and ordinary African women's milestone achievements in their struggles for liberation, self-emancipation, human rights, democracy, racism, socioeconomic class division, and gender-based violence. Joining us today in our Johannesburg studio is South Africa's Deputy Minister of Tourism, Elizabeth Tabete, who previously served as the Deputy Minister of Small Business Development. She has been a Member of Parliament since the inception of our democracy in 1994. She has chaired the Portfolio Committees on Environmental Affairs as well as Tourism and was also a Member of the Committees on Labour and Trade and Industry. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Doctor. You've served our country for many years and you've held various positions. Can you please share with us a few of the landmarks in your career? Wow. It's quite a lot of them, so I'm not sure where to start, uh, but I'll try. I, I think for me from 1994, after the first democratic elections, of course, um, it was a bit tough at the time because we had to deal with the transition from apartheid era into democracy. So going to parliament, I think we had to deal with changing like every law that we can think of that was there before because it was meant for few people, not the majority of South Africans. Even the language of the legislation, it always had things like he, thinking that uh, parliament is meant for men only. And it was very male-dominated. It was male-dominated in a way, though in English vocab, you can use he for everyone, but it was just specific there that they meant men. So we had to change all those. The Constitutional Assembly, it is one of the landmarks that we'll never forget. When the current president chaired the Constitutional Assembly, President Cyril Ramaphosa was the chair with Rolf Meyer, trying to have a, a better constitution that can be you know, used by everyone in South Africa, represent the majority of people who were oppressed before, and have a human rights culture that will be different from the apartheid system. But for me, one of the landmarks will be that uh, when we change the constitution, because it was until 1993 in South Africa, women were classified as minors. And we had to change that to say never, never again that you can have women classified as minors. We then had to insert a clause that then said women are equal before the law like any other persons, like men. You see this thing of men and women, because it meant that before, for all these years, during apartheid and all that, women, even your white women, Indians and colors, were subjected to ask your husband or boyfriend to sign a higher purchase agreement for you. Even if you earn much more than him, or even if he's not working, you are working. But for you to sign a higher purchase agreement, it was not allowed. So changing that for me, women of South Africa, we changed that around. Even opening business, you had to go and ask your husband to sign for you. For the mere fact that you were classified as a minor, you, you were not allowed then to do anything on your, on your own, being an adult. That's why we're talking about the triple oppression, that, that you're oppressed as, 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 as an African black, but you're oppressed again as just being a woman. For me, that will forever stand as a landmark that I think we change around the landscape. And women today, I mean, they can be whoever they want to be. And remember, during that time, women were even forced to marry somebody that they did not know for them to open a happy or for them to have a house. 
For all those things, they changed the lives of women in South Africa. And for me, that will stand out forever. That is one, I mean, one thing that we contributed, changed the constitution. But of course, it was informed by the Women's Charter, where women had to stand up themselves. Because if you remember, the Women's Charter was adopted before the Freedom Charter. 1954, the Women's Charter was adopted. And it informed then all the struggles of the Women's League, uh, and even before the Women's League. The women who were there before who marched, uh, they were from different uh, organizations, black sex, whatever. All of them came together and said, let's fight this thing of past laws. Because if it was extended to them again, it meant they were going to have problems in terms of, I mean, doing other things. So those, those I mean, key things to me stand as, uh, as milestones and uh, landmarks for women in South Africa. Yes, completely. And as a woman of today, I thank you as a woman of yesterday for Mm. making sure that we do live in a more equal Mm. society. But in all that, as as you ask, we were the first uh, 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 court or group of people who came to parliament. Um, You know, dealing with changing all that legislation and everything else into what you want to see as per the constitution, it was really... It was a lot. You had to sacrifice a lot in terms of making sure that long hours of parliament and you know dealing with all these other issues so that we can have a better society, so that we can have a country where our laws, I mean, talk to the constitution. So for me, that was one. And also changing the Labor Relations Act, basic conditions of employment. If you look at it, I mean, where, where we started. So saving in those committees, I mean, helped a lot, but also as a former trade unionist, that came in handy. Because in any way, we dealt with these issues as shop stewards. And some of us are not even lawyers, but we're forced to, to learn to know the labor law of South Africa. So as you fight your case with the employer, you quote what is the current law saying and what, why then are they doing wrong things in terms of treating workers very wrong. So for me, that helped me a lot. And in fact, that was the best ever school I attended in terms of being trained to be a leader to be trained to be a negotiator because those skills ca- came in handy as I went to parliament, being a former trade unionist under Fosato and Cosato. That also is one of a key strategic milestone that I'll ever remember in my life. You've been involved in so many different dynamics within the political space on from a South African um, perspective, looking at the aspects of improving women's lives, looking at labor relations, looking at changing legislation to have a positive benefit across all members of society. Mm. Your role now in the travel and, and tourism space is a very important sphere in terms of economic generation for South Africa, job creation, attracting foreign exchange. And I recall reading an article in Fin24, which projected back in 2017, that tourism would make up 9.4% of the economy's GDP, which is pretty significant. Can you tell us more about what you want to achieve in your current term of office? Well, as you correctly said, I served in small business and then came in. I only came in 2017 uh, in the Department of Tourism. For me, I think we're working upon programs that were there before, but women empowerment also was one of those that I worked in. In fact, one of the milestones was to be part of SAWEN, which is the South African Women Entrepreneurs Network. And we empowered lots of women. Some of them today own very big businesses. 
that we are proud of, that at least they came from us, from the department, we assisted them, and they are able, some of them export to different countries. And I mean, we have really contributed in terms of making sure that we empower those women, and they are real business women, because the network assisted them a lot in terms of uh, reaching out to other women, knowing what is it all about, and then be able to organize themselves as a group. So here in tourism, we've got women in tourism, We've got uh, nine chapters in the whole provinces. You've got provincial chairpersons in every province. And uh, we are calling for uh, them to then work together with economic developments in provinces. As you know that we've got MECs that are responsible for tourism in all the nine provinces. Then we work with them so that they can assist them then to operate from there. And we try then and assist a lot of them also to be part of... Uh, we've got... Uh, the incubator system that we have launched uh, in the Department of Tourism. Incubators assist them uh, to be organized much more, assist them uh, access to your internet and uh, making sure that they can operate from those offices if they don't have those facilities. And also uh, to help their companies grow and tell them, in fact, where to get the if they need uh, funding, like taking their business forward, they get to be, I mean, educated there and get to be a little bit mentored sort of mm. from those incubators. Through incubators, you see much more assistance given to a lot of uh, people and women in particular. So in that, you are able then to make sure that you can be able to take forward what can make their businesses to be sustainable. Sustainability is the key here. Because lots of businesses, I think, die because they can't be sustainable. So sustainability, access to markets, it's what we train them with and give them the opportunities to be part of exhibitions that are undertaken a lot by the South African Tourism as our only entity in the tourism space. I think I'll be failing in my duties if I don't. Just explain a bit about the executive management training that we're doing for women in tourism. Please do that uh, we train women and some of them i think we've got we started uh, in 2016 17 and 2017 18 18 19. the first 20 went for training with unisa and out of the 20 uh, 15 of them passed five could not make it and they were repeating and out of that uh, five of them got to be promoted to other positions after being trained now because this is a program where we say women must be trained so that they can be respected, so that they can get the executive positions in the management. Second group was 40, and then the last group so it this year, yes, last year we took 20. So all in all, it's about 80 women that we have empowered, that we are able to say, they moved, I mean, from the positions where they were, gradually, some of them. It shows positive results in terms of this training. One of the young women, Nogukanya, is working for Hilton. He has been given to go and open a Hilton in uh, Dubai. It's a major breakthrough, I think, for young women who are working at Hilton in particular or in the, in the hospitality industry to have been given that opportunity that they can be able to go open up. And, and they're growing in that instance. That's a fantastic outcome and it, it speaks to advancement, but it also speaks to the sustainability factor that you exactly, were talking about. Exactly. You've empowered them with these skills. Exactly. That they're not just in South Africa, but they're taking on the world. Mm -hmm. And for the young women, also we are training. We've got lots of training uh, skills development that we do 
we train young chefs, we train uh, sommeliers, those who are trained in terms of dealing with the wines and how to pair the wine and the food, etc., and all that. We also train um, those who are in the oceans, uh, in particular the blue flag, uh, swimming, scuba diving, and life saving, and all those. Tourist guides, we, we train them, and we train those who are dealing with food safety assurance. We train those who are dealing with uh, food and bath. 70% of the training is uh, practical, 30% is theory. This is what as government we listen to the people, because young people, most of them, we've got lots of young unemployed graduates. And in that, this, this, these uh, training um, uh, schemes are assisting a lot of them then to employ because we target those who are 18 to 35. They must be South Africans. They must at least have grade 11 or grade 12. Or they must, even if they're graduates, then they find some, you know, uh, whatever in terms of tourism and hospitality, but they must have passion for this. And after that, they get to 60% and 70% gets to get placement. And 34% 40 open their own facilities. It's a good throughput. It is. So we, we, the, the number there, we especially, the majority should be young women and a few of the young men. Because we want to make sure that we empower lots of women. So in these, some of them, uh, we are working together with Awesome Travel and Work which is an organization that place a lot of them out of the country, overseas, and go and work for big holiday uh, resorts, companies like your Broadmoor and um, Mohonk. They go work there for a year or two and come back. Some of them open their own businesses. Some of them come buy their, their parents' houses of the money that they so we try and make sure that they can be able to come back plow back and work and some continue working abroad and all that so these are good initiatives that we're doing as a department of tourism to make sure that young women and young men can get these opportunities and make sure that they go ahead i hope even in the uh, new six parliament and government we'll be able to continue with these programs because to me these are fantastic programs that are really changing in terms of unemployment as you know the majority of the unemployed in South Africa happens to be youth, and some of them are young women. So in that, we are making a dent in terms of making sure that these training facilities are working. So that's why I said, uh, it will, I would really be failing in my duties that I, I don't say that. So this has given you an opportunity of wearing your small business cap, wearing <laughs> your women's empowerment cap, and looking at the tourism market as this canvas of opportunity for women to prosper from and it's such a diverse environment we've got domestic international business cultural mm. meetings world heritage ecotourism paleo tourism mm. adventure tourism sports tourism wine medical rural township out of all of those where would you say the greatest opportunity lies for women to me, I would say in all of them. All of them. You cannot uh, restrict women to a particular uh, sector or, or to a particular, you know, to say maybe they are better in sports tourism or cultural tourism. They are in all of them. You know, women are, I'm sorry to say this, but it is a fact. Women from a nurturing factor. Women can multitask. Women can be able to improvise better. Women can think fast as to what is it that we can do if things don't work out right. 
And in that space, it gives them then to, to be in everywhere where they want to be. And to me, the value chain of tourism is, is quite huge if you look at it. So women have got that gift in any way of being natural, of being, you know, uh, <laughs> having to work much more longer hours, etc. And, you know, you, you run a business, but at the same time, you, you think about the home, you think about the husband and children and all those things. So in that, it gives women latitude then to really make sure that they can make inroads. But to me, looking at the value chain, you then look at it and say everything is possible for every woman in South Africa to have a stake. We've spoken about the positive attributes of women, whether it is from adopting a solutions mindset to having multitasking capabilities. But yet women have still got to grapple with, as you said earlier, this this triple line of, of oppression that, you know, 26 years ago, it's, it's not such a long time ago when, when things were changed. Being a political leader in Africa sometimes touches on sensitive points, whether it's culture, religion, tradition. In your experience, do you think that female leaders face different challenges to their male counterparts? Mm-hmm. Well, it differs from country to country, but I think if you look at the whole Africa, uh, the majority of women there don't enjoy full full rights if you look at it because they're still either subjected i mean to looking after children you see the face of poverty being women in majority in in a lot of those countries but i must say that uh, women over years they've united and tried to organize themselves in some countries you see them really hard at work, you see them part of big companies, you see them opening their own companies, you see them but in terms of tradition and culture, I think it's still, it's still a problem because then it confines them into being women who are expected to be you know, child uh, bearing and rearing and, and doing all those things, household uh, chores and all that while their husbands then have to be people who are in the industries who are working and or whatever and and so things now have changed even in South Africa women before it's like education most most uh, families were not keen to educate a, 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 a girl child because they, they thought ah we are educating her she's gonna be taken to another family but that has slowly changed a bit to say not always that will have a girl child being taken to another, even if they're taken to another family, but education is a key that they didn't have. So that if the marriage is not working, they can be able to go and, you know, use the education and be able to be sustainable and to be able to, to live with that because some of them get into abusive relationship because they don't have skills, they don't have education, and they are relying on the abusive husbands who are either beating them every day or whatever and, and they, they, they don't, you know, enjoy a happily married uh, 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 family type of. But because they were taken out of school early, they were told, you know, it's an investment for another family, go out of school, you'll get married, you'll have children and stay. The economy demands that both men and women can work. Long are those days that you get only a man, I mean, uh, looking after his family. Now, because of what, I mean, the economy demands, a woman must also go and work. But I think beyond just 
working it allows you to live to your full potential and and not be denied that right yes but i think it it, it took us years i think to to try and change that mindset around to say educate both girl child and a boy child together and let them have this education which is a key to me and a source that they'll be able to use in their lifetime and from a leadership point of view you're in a position of leadership people can see that people can recognize that this is what women can do but what do you think we're doing to bring up our younger leaders and and nurture them what role do you think mentorship plays in that space well they say charity begins at home i think many families now they realize in south africa that you must treat both your girl child and boy child the same so that you are able to give them tell them about opportunities in life but tell them as well that they must be responsible adults they must be able to know how to do work both of them that thing of having the girl child to clean the house cook and all that we must have changed that now in some families to say living a boy child needs also to know how to clean the room how how to make up the bed how how to cook so that it cannot be, then only be a problem for the girl child then to do that while they loaf around or they do a, any other thing that they do only they have much more time to study treat them the same way i i i think we must do that but the question of uh, well <laughs> at the time we started in the trade unions uh, there were there were there were these cultural issues that women can be leaders and you'll find that some of you them can't take you serious enough because they think a man must be a shop steward for instance in my case where i used to work at plastol gandhi before i joined parliament in 1994 i worked there for about 12 14 years and we joined the union in 1983 and then yo know, there were lots of males especially from kwazulu natal and 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 eastern cape those men don't believe in women leadership so you know they can't be told by a woman whatever thing and all that but i happened to have been elected as a shop steward and as a chairperson of the shop steward so for me it was a good thing that i was chairperson of the shop steward because these male uh, shop steward would take up cases they lose them i come in as the chair of the of the shop steward and i win those cases these men started now to change around and respect me recognizing most of them they used to say that they can't go to a meeting at lunch time called by a woman a woman can talk and talk to men he must sit down and the men must talk some of them then they got to be dismissed because it was during those wars in KZN so some of them stay in there and then lose to come to work for about a month or two when they come back they get dismissed they don't win the case and i take over the cases chairperson of shop steward and win the cases they change all together now they say ah uh-uh. ah uh, we must listen to this woman uh, in zulu they, they call it a wind of gas it it mean you are the royal queen to them because they were out of work i brought them back to work and then they started respecting me now and telling others come to meetings come and listen to this woman how did you feel about being able to make that mind shift because that's such an important shift you were in this role and you've managed to win them over when they were completely against you well that's why then because of as i say the cases that the male steward lost and not be able to reinstate them i was the one who's fight and then reinstate them back so it means you have to prove yourself to men before they can take you as a leader 
if you have not proven yourself to them that you are a leader even better than other male leaders, they, 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 they can't because before they were taking, ah, this is a woman we, we can't even go to meetings with her, stop and not. They ended up mobilizing them now. Everybody must come to a meeting. Uh, the, the, the chairperson of the shop steward now is going to address people because I used to attend the BC meetings. I used to attend shop steward council and representing them and have to give them, a, you know, come back and all that. But to me, it was interesting then that they turned around, both of them, Zulu and Kosa men. Those are typical men that don't want to hear anything from a woman. And uh, they changed around now and, and accepted me now as their leader. But it's only if you're firm and, and know that you, you'll be what they want you to be, but you'll end up just being straightforward and make sure that you put your foot down and then they'll be able to understand. Today, we're talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Tourism, Elizabeth Tabete. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. You are listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective on frequency 9625 kHz on the 31 meter band. Also available on DSTV Channel 802. Deputy Minister, one of the questions that I ask all my guests who've made tremendous achievements in their respective fields is about some of the factors that they consider to have contributed to their success, whether it's hard work, perseverance. Could you please share with us, in your opinion, what have been some of the key factors that have helped you get to where you are today? To me, I've seen you quoted that it can be uh, either perseverance, or it can be hard work. To me, it's both. With some people, for instance, Rebecca Malope, mm-hmm. she said fear of failure. Mm-hmm. So everybody seems to have something that that makes, that is their driver. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've been exposed to, to so many fantastic ladies over the years who, the list. who have a nugget which which speaks to them. And I think that using this this platform, someone could hear something that you say, which may just be that trigger that mm. that gives them the drive. I think for me, you, you you always have to look at your niche everywhere you go, but also need to. If I I took it maybe being a former trade unionist, I used to assist workers. I used to fight for workers' rights, and it's not about me. It's about uh, the impact I do in terms of making sure that those workers cannot lose jobs, cannot, I mean, can be able to have good conditions that they're working under. And then it then came to Parliament then after having 14 years of being a trade unionist and then 25 years then in Parliament also coming, continuing with the job that we started. Even women uh, uh, um, uh, fighting for women to be in the leadership. They were saying we are doing quotas or whatever. I didn't care at them because we wanted women to be there. In chemical workers in the salon where I was, it's a power now. It matched with paper, wood and allied. We were driving to change and put forward the resolution that we must have women in the top five of the leadership. Can't have a president, vice. We said two out of the five must be women. And we managed to get that. Kosato, we did the same. Sponsored that resolution. Connie September was the first woman to be there. So if you don't enforce these things and fight for them, to me, 
you must stand up and fight for your rights as women. You must stand up and fight for your rights so that you are able to achieve what you want. It's not about fighting for you as an individual, fighting for others that you are able to lift up. And I believe in, as I move up, I lift others up as well. I don't go alone up there. I need to lift these others who are there. And that's why my work mostly, I work in communities, work with, you know, like now, BNBs, women who own BNBs and all that. I work even African men and who are there in the sector that wants them to get, because transformation for me is key. And what drives me is to, I'm happy saving the people. And I become more happy if I see them progressing as well in life after what I've assisted them with. But lots of them who come and tell me, you led the trade delegations, I'm now doing business with Teki. I say, that's what you want to achieve. After you lead the delegation there, people listen to what you said. They make contacts, went back with their money, and today they can do business with Teki. That is what I'm saying. For me, it's true. I mean, it's hard work, that you, but you sacrifice a lot. Your family, you sacrifice your family life because you want to assist others. And it has been the case for me for all these years. And I believe that that is all the majority of us must do so that our people can get the service. But it is through those perseverance as well as uh, hardworking and just making sure that you can be of assistance to many people that need your guidance. Well, your sacrifices have certainly had an impact on others. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us who have been some of the strong women in your life that have had a significant impact to make you the person you are today? Women that uh, influenced me, there's lots of them. But firstly is my mother and my grandmother. I started from there because they were a strong pillar that made me to be who I am today. And of course I met other formidable women right through my life that today you look at them, they are better women. Lots of them, I can name them, but I can't finish name them. Pumzile Mlambonguga is one of those. I've seen she has gone through the interview and all that. Uh, You've got uh, one of the accountants of this world from Deloitte and Toich, Futim Toba. It's one of the women I respect, Gloria Serobe. It's one of the women that, I mean, if you look at them with their whiphold, where they started and where they are now. Some of those women who are today better women who started with the women concept, but ended up being big. We need them in big, I mean, uh, business in boards, everywhere else. Is those initiatives that have started to say we can have women in these boards. But there are lots of women that are good to me. Nana Dodi is one of the women that, well, one of the women that I respect so much, being a, a nurse, businesswoman. But he, she was always making sure that she lifts other women up. I worked with her in Sawen and all this. So Mama Betha Kowa, I cannot stop an interview without talking about her. I was like her protege. I mean, I was there all the time with her. I learned a lot from that woman who was part of the treason trialist in South Africa. And discipline, everything else, politics, that he, he, she was a good mentor. She's, she's late now. She passed on 2010, but her legacy and teachings is what made me to exactly to be who I am today. But with that list of names, they've paved the way for women of today. And it must have been such a privilege to have had the mentor 
mentorship opportunity to learn from them. And I'm sure that you are, are distributing that knowledge in your work today. I'm definitely doing that. But I hope those, because like, there's quite a lot of women that I've worked with, some of them, they are like, you know, I would say the, these are my products and all that. And it's good to see them having moved from point A to point B. And they are better women today because they also listen to what I imparted from what I got from these leaders to them. So I'm very proud to say that in life it is possible, but you must stand up, fight for those and sacrifice. And finally, as we close the show today, could you please share a few words of wisdom or inspiration that you'd like to pass on to young ladies listening to us? Well... You know, it's, there's so much uh, that I can say to them, but I would say to them, if they are focused, if they know what they want to do in life, and to me, you cannot be dictated from where you come from. Your background doesn't uh, deal with your destination. You can move out of whatever situation you are, if only you are focused, you know what you want in life, but education is the key. In terms of young women who are out there, Get skills, get education, you'll be able to move in life, but also make sure that you can work harder. There's one uh, parent from the graduates uh, that were graduating in KZN that sticked with me for a long time. He said, my children, I said to them, we've given you opportunities, we've given you skills, some of you are employed, some of you are not employed, you can open your own businesses now. But government through the Department of Tourism instilled in you this and nobody will take it from you. Even if you are hijacked, nobody can hijack your education. Nobody can hijack your PhD, isn't it? But it opened doors for you. You are able to live with it and all that. And then this mother said, Matanaba, my children, you must work like a slave so that you can live like a king. First, work hard like a slave. At the end of that working hard like a slave, you'll be a king because you would have done everything as that. Don't start by living like a king first. Start by, you know, so I'll say work hard. Let them work hard. If they want to start something, don't think that starting a business is easy, but they, they are equally, f I, mean, I mean, strong and fit to test it and take a risk. Because if you open a business, you take a risk. It may work, it may not work. We never had Villagas Street. Someone took a risk in terms of saying, there's a business opportunity here. There's two um, Nobel Prize laureates in one street. Uh, there's Montutu and Nelson Mandela. Let's start something. Here it is today, it's a tourist attraction from somebody who just said that. So to me, we've got a lot in South Africa. Let our young people think, but also innovate. We've got lots of job seekers and less entrepreneurs in South Africa. So they are entrepreneurs, not be able to unleash that potential. So it is possible. They can be whoever they want to be. They can do what they want to do. The conditions are better off now than in the, in the apartheid era. We grew up in a very tough position. For them, it's easier now. We have paved the way. Things are much more better and easy to tackle, but only if they know what is it that you want to do. What is your purpose there? What do you want to, do you want to influence other people? Do you want to change people's lives? Do you want to be whoever you want to be? That you must, and for them have focus. Nelson Mandela said, it always seems impossible until it's done. 
it is like that even to our young people. Let them look at, at the future very bright, but they have to work hard for that. They must make sure that they take from where we left off and then they can move. Thank you so much for your practical words as well as inspiring words <laughs> and for joining us in our conversation today. It's been a, a real privilege to have you. Thank you. Not today. I was a doctor by association with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see women like yourself who are, you know, want to pursue the women's agenda for what? Because I think if you don't do it as women, nobody will do it. Mm. If, if, you, if you see many uh, movements and organizations, they'll talk about men. They won't talk about women's struggles. And you find that in every structure, women were there, even Kosato. I was interviewed by one doctor years ago. She, she was still a, a, a student. She wanted to know the women who were involved in Kosato. She interviewed myself, Susan Shabangu, Joyce Mabudafasi, and uh, Joyce Hwadi was still alive then. She passed on now. But she said because she hears about general secretaries, you know, Jay Naidu, Sishilowa, uh, now she she did not hear anything about women in the trade unions. And I said, that's good because you're trying to balance the equation so that people should know that in that, it was not fashionable at the time to join trade unions. It was difficult, but the women were there and we were part of it. Then we then went to parliament, most of us, and here we are. You have been listening to Womanity, Women in Unity on Channel Africa, The African Perspective, and we have been talking to South Africa's Deputy Minister of Tourism, Elizabeth Tabete. 